Like I could go home right now, blessed. I don't know about you all. Man, mm-mm-mm. Uh, this week, uh, past week, if I remember correctly, um, was uh, uh, Police Officer Appreciation Week. So all over the country, there were all kinds of things, you know, uh, to celebrate and support of our officers and, and uh, just thinking about that and then thinking about um, all, the, all the others as well. Uh, and there's, I know there's uh, EMT Day sometime, I think it's in October. I know there's firefighter appreciation, so forth and so on. You get it in celebration of all those uh, that are on the front lines, those first responders. And uh, uh, that they are there and ready and know that every time that their radio crackles or the the buzz goes off or the alarm in the station sounds, uh, they are in that mind of understanding that they're going, probably going to a situation where there is a person or there are people who are in a place of experiencing a very powerful truth in this old world that they are not in control. As a matter of fact, they're in a very desperate place and they need help badly. And many in our church, I'm so, so grateful, we have police officers, state troopers, uh, uh, EMTs, uh, firefighters, and, and on and on the list goes. And I think it is, it's always appropriate to honor those who serve and give of themselves for us. Can we do that today? I was, I was thinking, man, when I, if I have to make that call, I'm pretty darn happy there's somebody on the other line. <laughs> Amen. And I, and I say that not as a point of, simply a point of acknowledging and recognizing and appreciating, but also that it, it, it helps us as we set the stage for our conversation today. As we enter into Esther, we are finishing up chapter one and beginning chapter four. 2 through verse 4. So that's where we're going to be studying today. Uh, we, uh, we find um, this reality in life that uh, sooner or later, each and every one of us are going to run into it. And that is this truth. I am not in control. I cannot change this situation. I cannot make this person make... XYZ decision. I can't, I can't walk away from this, whatever that is. And we come face to face with this reality, and yet, even still, fully aware of that, we still drift into this, this thinking that our culture perpetuates that no. You're in control. You got it all figured out. And our poets write, you are the captain of your own soul. Well, captain, let's talk about that once your ship crashes on the shore, and we'll see how that rolls out at that point in time. And over and over, we come to these places, and yet we still return to this idea that somehow I'm calling the shot. 
in this particular individual in our story today, in an honest moment, we would have to acknowledge that in very, in, in tangential or direct ways, we see in an honest moment ourselves reflected in him. And in that, we have uh, an opportunity to have a real honest conversation with ourselves, but more importantly, to have a more honest conversation with God. This was that king we introduced last week, uh, the king at, uh, of the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, his his, uh, reign, his uh, kingdom went all the way down uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, wow, way down south in Africa, all the way over to India. And everywhere in between, 127 satraps or provinces of his kingdom, who knows how many people were under his direct uh, uh, control as the king. And we find that he was having a big old party in chapter 1, in the book of Esther. And uh, what, this was, uh, what was going on here is that he was with all of his nobles and officials and military officers, and they had gathered for a military planning time, along with all the partying. And they were working on how it was they were going to all come together and resource and advance into Greece and to conquer all the Greek city-states, Athens, Sparta, and the like. And so they had been planning. He was, he was convinced, as you could read in some of the inscriptions, probably he had written, Oh, Xerxes, the king most high, the most high king, you know, and he would have all that stuff about him. The man wasn't struggling with any sense of uh, uh, humility. <laughs> he was full of himself. And he was in that mind, that thinking at this point as we come to verse 10, uh, that he is clearly in control. He's clearly the boss. He's clearly the, the man, if you will. And so we read this story, and as we do... Uh, he, uh, in, in ways that you and I can identify again, uh, either tangentially or directly, he, he gives us some of the symptoms of somebody who is suffering from the delusion of control. And then we can reflect on that from a biblical perspective as God would lead us. And here, we will also, as we were encouraged last week, to consider the much bigger picture to step back and say, now wait a minute, God has been in movement from Gen Genesis, see left to right, okay, here, from Genesis to Revelation, and his plan is in play. Creation, the fall, then the promised one to come and restore the broken relationship between uh, people and God. Jesus comes, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, he raises from the dead, and he enters into glory. Now we live in that time, the end times, where the movement of the Holy Spirit within Jesus' followers to continue the message that a Savior has come until the day God gives the direction to the angels to blow the horn and to give the shout. God's bigger story is in play. And as we watch, we will see that the big king of kings is providentially working outside the text to accomplish the purpose of deliverance of his people. Keep your eyes open as we read. 
On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him, and uh, you can all try and practice their names, Uh, there's seven of them there, uh, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men were, and there they are, uh, seven nobles of Persian media. A man's got to know his limitations. (laughs) They met with the king regularly. They held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? Mamukin answered the king and his nobles, Queen Vashti is wrong. Not only the king but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. All of a sudden, this is now a global problem. Women everywhere. It's going to be chaos. They'll begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persian media will hear what the queen did, and they'll start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So, if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, Husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense. I don't think so. So he followed Mamukin's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. Between chapters 1 and 2, in historical time, there's three years, not mentioned here for the purpose of, of the author, but there are three years between these two where Xerxes mounted that campaign against Greece, and he was, he was making some serious progress, and then his navy really got wiped bad and that was a problem because that's how they had to get everybody back and forth and he ended up coming back with most of his army back to his kingdom with his tail between his legs in defeat and in humility and you know you come home after a hard day and who do you want to see want to see your sweetheart ever throw her arms around you you know and say hey it's okay you know you're gonna be all right well he started thinking about that. His anger had subsided and he thought about Vashti. 
and what she had done and the decree he had made. The decree of the Medes and the Persians that many could not retract it. It was done over. He would never see Vashti ever again. Well, so his personal attendants, they're, they're observing an unhappy king. They said, hey, let's do this, king. Some more great ideas. Let's search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments after that. The young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. So he put the plan into effect. And we'll pause there for this morning's conversation. Those living under the delusion that they are in control. Again, in our honest moment, we find ourselves in that place. And time to time, again, this old life reminds us, guess what? You're not. Far better to enter it with that realization each and every morning you get up and say, God help me. So what do we see? Verse 10, uh, we pick up the story. They're at the end of the seven-day feast and the drinking has been, shall we say, nonstop. And uh, the language here, he was in high spirits. Most of the commentators understand the man was absolutely smashed. I mean, he was out, just stupid drunk. And this, this scene here of him and all these, these guys... And, you know, you just kind of get this picture in your mind, and you're like, what in the world's going on? And in that, we see one of, one of the things that will often accompany somebody living under the delusion they're in a control. They can quit any time they want to. Those under the delusion of control say, I can stop any time I want to. I can walk away. And in love, a friend comes and says, well, do you think it's probably time now? Your family is in crisis. You no longer have a job. You've been arrested X number of times. Do you think maybe now is the time to quit since you can quit any time you want to? Whether the addiction is alcohol, prescription drug abuse, illicit drugs, pornography, gambling, and the list goes on and on and on. One of those symptoms of those stuck in the delusion of control say, I can quit any time I want to. Have some dear friends that have, are, are living uh, in the reality of, of being uh, free from that addiction and fighting for their freedom and they tell me in conversation after conversation with them that until a person sets aside that delusion, I just simply cannot help them. As soon and only until they acknowledge the fact that they cannot quit at any time, 
they're, they're powerless to do anything about it. Then and only then can we get the help that they need. Oh, my, my encouragement uh, to, to all of us, whether that is, that is a reality in our life or not, is to embrace what Jesus said in John chapter 15. In grace, he tells us, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Embrace the reality that I am God and you are not. There, there, we can begin to find freedom and healing and breakthrough. But under this delusion of control, you're outside of the flow of grace, still saying, God, I don't need you. Too often, I hate to say, in my own life, I've had some of that attitude in different areas and spaces. What about you? I can't, but God can. I can't. Love my wife, love my kids, love my grandkids. I can't be a pastor that I'm supposed to be. I can't do anything without him. But God can through me. There's the hope. There's the victory. There's the power of God at work within us. Let me encourage you that may some of us may be in these places of struggle. Get the help that you need. There's people here in our church family who would love to help you get the help. Our mission's just committed to supporting a counselor who would, and it's right over there in that room, by the way, to be able to meet with anybody in our church family who would, who would seek to, to get help for whatever the situation may be. Addiction, relationships, whatever. Let's get the help we need. Let's embrace this, the truth that we are not in con- control and set aside the delusion. Well, it continues in verse 11. A person under, under this belief that they are in control, uh, uh, they make some decisions that uh, express this reality in their heart, and that is that people are valued to them only to the extent that they make me look good. Their connection to me must produce something that makes me look really good or smart or special or whatever. So what does he do in the middle of this drunken party with all these guys and certainly all kinds of inappropriate adult activities that have already been going on and he gets this great idea, hey, bring my wife out. I want her to traipse around here in front of all these guys. Show how beautiful she is. Some of the commentators make the observation that he said just spring the royal crown. He didn't say her royal robes. And that conclusion that uh, all he really wanted her to have on was the royal crown. The humiliator. Didn't matter to him. I want people to look at her and say, wow, what a lucky guy. That's all he cared about. People, people have value when we are in control to the degree that they make us look good. Jesus comes and he looks at you and me and he says, you are so valuable to me. 
in and where you are right now that I am going to give my life to rescue you from your sin and your moral failure and your need for a savior. I want to give to you in order to give to you I've got to die. Which king do you want to hang out with? If we could just see the priceless stamped right on the forehead of every single person. If we could just embrace their value. Intrinsic value. Not a value because they perform well. Not a value because they make me look good. How different would our marriages be? How different might it be on the sidelines of our kids' activities if I didn't see their performance as some way looking at me? Wow. This is, a, this is something very important for us to, to embrace and confront in our own hearts. I know I've had to and I will continue to have to with God's help. In verse 12, he continues, well, the queen, she says no. This ain't happening, man. This was inappropriate even in their culture. You don't do this to your wife, the queen, humiliate her in front of everybody, no. She's like, no, it ain't happening. And his response, anger, fury. He he, he just burned with it. You see, what happens when we think that, that, that that we are in control, that we are in charge, we will use anger as a means to control other people. That's what happens. My voice will get a little louder, my face a little redder. I'll try to talk over, puff my chest out, and try to to get over the top of somebody. Because our anger, we're gonna let it, we're gonna let it flow because we've seen and observed and watched how how people have bullied and got their way and done all kinds of things. They've used anger, and we start using anger. We start snow plowing people, and we're thinking, see, I'm in control, and we're at a trigger. Bam! Zero to 100 in anger because I'm going to get control of this situation. For my spouse, my kids, those I work with, somebody driving on the road next to me, it doesn't matter. I'm in control, and they're going to feel my, my wrath should they challenge that. It's a delusion. We would all do very well to embrace the words that Jesus' brother would write. James chapter 1, verse 19. He said, everybody, be quick to listen. With God's help, be slow to speak and be slow to what? anger and he tells us why he says because human anger will not produce the righteous life that God desires life and life to the fullest isn't found in rage fury anger taken out on people trying to control the situation and the people around us If anger is your go-to, can I encourage you in grace and humility, please, 
please, get help. Get help. One day the blow-up is going to be to a place and you can't undo it. Please. Verse 14. We see all the people around the, the king here. And they met with him regularly. This is the inside track. This is the inner circle. They understood how this guy worked. They knew what he was like. Uh, they, they could read him. They knew what he wanted to hear. And that's why they were in the inner circle. You see how that works? When you are under the delusion of control, you want people around you who are going to tell you what you want to hear. You really don't want people to challenge what you're thinking, what you're saying. You know, just, you know, the last, I, I, so many decisions, I'm embarrassed to say that, that you know, we know we got the, you know, ABCD person, and man, they're going to tell us woo, 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 exactly what we want to hear, but, you know, HIJ people over here, we're like, you know what, I'm not going to give them a call. I'm not going to talk to them. They're always against me. Oh, that we would have people in our life who love us enough to tell us what we don't want to hear, but what we need to hear. King David, a king from many years earlier, he had this delusion of control going. He thought he could do just anything he wanted to. Wrecked, I mean, just made a shipwreck of things. But he had a Nathan in his life, a prophet of God named Nathan, who came to him and said, David, what are you doing? Called him out and enabled David to turn to repentance and get right with God again. Everybody needs a Nathan. Who's yours? Who's yours? Last verse we'll look at this morning, verse 4 of chapter 2. He's back from his failed uh, attempt to conquer Greece. They have this conversation, and these guys present nothing. It, it's just nothing more than pure trafficking. It's all it is. Hey, I want you to go into each of these different provinces and just snag young women. Bring them to me. Three qualities, young, beautiful, and virgins. Some commentators stay somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 400 young girls were wrapped up in this man's folly. Dragged out of their homes, out of their lives, turned into some kind of a, 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 an object for this king. As a father of four daughters, I find things like this absolutely vile, disgusting. Humanity at its worst. And there it is. There it is. And this decision was made because it was appealing to the king. Appealing to the king. See, when we think we're in control, our decisions revolve around the question, well, what do I want? What do I think? What's my opinion? Not the question that a Jesus follower should ask, which should be, 
what does God's word say? What is the Holy Spirit convicting me in my times of prayer to say? This was, this was a sick immorality taking place. A horrible, horrible wrong of the wonderful gift uh, of our sexuality that God has given. Just a terrible warp of it. And uh, the, the Bible is clear as it provides instructions for the gift of our sexuality. Physical intimacy is given uh, to the exclusive uh, uh, um, a participation of a husband and his wife. And that's it. And that there in the context of, of a, a husband and his wife, the gift of our sexuality is beautiful. It is blessed. It is protected. It is honored. And it puts a smile on the face of God. Physical intimacy expressed in any other way, any other context whatsoever, is not any of those things. It is not blessed, it is not protected, it is not honored in heaven and it produces no smile on the face of God. It comes under the discipline of God. And this, again, each of us approaches with incredible grace and mercy thanking God for the graciousness that he has extended to us. We also extend grace with the truth. There is to be what? Love. Love. We ought not be embarrassed by what the word of God says. Nor should we say that uh, it, uh, that um, in some way, shape, or form, I want some, somebody to have something less than God's best? Why would I want something less for them? And can I speak and communicate in such a way that it is love and that I don't have any stones to throw? None. And we can walk away and deal with the challenge of our own delusion of control issues and our decisions are to be informed by the word of God by the spirit of God that's where we go for the moral guidelines for how this life is to be lived let me close with this uh, the cross of Jesus is the divine declaration that humanity is absolutely incapable of controlling itself. Did you catch that? The cross of Jesus from time and eternity proclaims that all people, all people are incapable of being the captain of their own soul, their own master of controlling themselves. The cross of Jesus says very clearly, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that falling short of the glory of God is infinite in its space. And that we needed a rescuer, someone to come and pay our sin debt 
And that was Jesus. He came and he gave his life. He died on the cross for our sins. He died our death, listen, so we could have his life. No, no, you and I, we're not going to get to that place of being able to control ourselves. Even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul was careful to let us know that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 23, you know what's on that list? It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the work of the flesh. Self-control. I can't manufacture it. I got to get God's help. I got to get his help. And we see again in this story, God is providentially, and it's amazing, God, the 30,000-foot view, God is providentially at work even in and through delusional kings like Xerxes to accomplish his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As you are reading the story throughout this time of study, keep your eyes open for the, 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 the providential hand of God all throughout this story.